You're listening to the Three Pixels Tech, Gaming, and Movie Podcast, brought to you by Alan Taylor, Martin Gregory, and me, Ben Ridley. Hello and welcome back to the Three Pixels Podcast. It is episode 12, and we are not in the pod this time. We are back in the office, the beautiful, wonderful, echoey offices that we love very much. It is much cooler this time. You'll be pleased to hear. I'm sure you're worried about us sweating away in the last episode. We are here and we are ready for this episode. Pumped. It's nice and cool, but not as cool as my co-host sitting opposite here, Alan Taylor. How are you? Good afternoon, Ben. I'm very good, thank you. And yeah, it's so much cool. It's nice to be able to keep all my clothes on. Yeah, I mean, we, we did kind of object a little bit last time, but you went ahead anyway. Yeah, well, you know, it's just more comfortable sitting in my boxes reviewing uh, movies. Yeah. It is. I mean, you know, just, just do what you do at home, I suppose. Exactly. It's recreating the experience. Yeah, I, I like the studio to feel like home. Yeah. Coming in my PJs. He's been around on the podcast. He might as well call it his home. Martin Gregory, how are you? Hello, Ben. Hello, Alan. Hello, Martin. Nice to see you all. <laughs> I don't get to see you that much anymore. You know. No, it's just during the podcast, really. Isn't yeah, it's yeah. only during the podcast. Have I've you been doing? Time. Uh, what? Have you been doing since the last podcast? I've been all right. Been hot, sweating. You know. Enjoying how hot it? has it been in, in Banbury? Has it been? It's unbearable? been unbearable at times. Real unbearable. Uh, this Sunday just gone. I went uh, did airsoft, and it was. Out in the open, very little cover of trees and stuff, and it was. I think it was. I oh, think it was comfy, Martin. They've come for you, Martin. Run. <laughs> I think it was as high as uh, thirty degrees Celsius, and when you're running around for like four odd hours straight, it is it is torture. I'll be honest. I've I've never drunk so much water in my life. I I felt afterwards like um like. Like we have a lake near us, as I've previously mentioned in a podcast. I think that lake was gone by the time I finished <laughs> uh, finishing my airsoft session. It's time for the tech corner. So right at the top, I have a couple of questions that I want you to think about. Would you put on an exoskeleton that meant you could run for an entire day without getting tired? What about one that would allow you to stay on your feet longer at work? Superhuman technology such as this is currently being developed, but ethical questions about whether we should be developing it and how it would be used is being asked. For those of you who aren't aware, exoskeleton is an external frame that can be worn to support or enhance a person's biological capacities. For those of you who aren't aware, exoskeleton is an external frame that can be worn to support or enhance a person's biological capacities. It is powered by electric motors, giving limbs extra movement, strength and endurance. However, this technology can go beyond just limbs. PhD student Tyler Kleitz of Massachusetts Institute of Tech talks about using technique they call neuroembodied design, finding ways of extending the human nervous system into the synthetic world and vice versa. Devices on a treadmill measure how much force is used when people walk or run, helping map exactly how people move their joints and muscles. This data then helps them design a system to help people move more efficiently. The aim of the students is to push the boundaries of technology beyond what our current bodies will allow. They refer to Professor Hugh Herr, who runs the lab, as their fearless leader. The exoskeletons they want to create would not only allow someone to run through the woods at 20 miles per hour all day, but to also help nurses and waiters stay on their feet without getting tired. To achieve this, the aim is to have the technology contained within high-performance clothing. 
Professor Neil Sharkey of the Foundation of Responsible Robotics, yes, that exists, is a little worried about this culture, thinking it will lead to humans working for longer hours and increasing the risk of mental fatigue. He said in an interview, you could have exoskeletons on building sites that would help people not get so physically tired, but working longer would make you mentally tired and we don't have a means of stopping that. We design these systems and then ask whether it might be misused. We need ethical design from the start and I would design exoskeletons that switch themselves off after six hours. However, he doesn't want to limit the use of this technology, quoting, we don't stop building cars because some people will drive drunk. So when considering this topic, it is also important to mention the people that have benefited from this biotech already. Professor Hare, or as he calls himself, Bionic Man, has two robotic legs designed by his team following a mountain climbing accident. They work by having two artificial electrodes sensing signals from the brain before passing the data onto small embedded computers. Once this has been processed, it then translates into his intended movement patterns for the leg. Also, a Mr. Irving had a similar accident and received a rebuild of his limb by surgeons, scientists, and engineers assembled at MIT Team Cyborg. He said in the latest TED talk, I believe that the reach of neuro-embodied design will extend far beyond limb replacement and carry humanity into realms that will fundamentally redefine human potential. So we've talked about standalone robots helping society in past podcasts, but how do we feel about robotics and human biology combining? It's certainly a well-discussed topic in science fiction movies and video games, but how would humanity cope with this change? If everyone could be strong and powerful, what effect could this have on society? I know, I know, I'm always bringing the easy questions to the podcast, but it could be one of the biggest changes we've yet to face. Gonna drop the mic. So going back to the first questions I asked you, we'll just, we'll start with those, get them easy. You guys can answer at home. I'll hear you, don't you worry. Would you put on an exoskeleton suit that means you could run for an entire day without getting tired? Obviously. Okay. Without, without, without doubt. a doubt. At this moment in time in my life, why would I need to? Put an exoskeleton if on. If you could. But yeah, but yeah. Okay, you okay. Could. You work in a bar. You're on your feet most of the day. What if you could be on your feet longer without feeling fatigued? But okay, so this does go back to the article you said about mental fatigue. There is some sort of fatigue there. And I think people would abuse it. Definitely. I think more hours would be um, put on people and more pressure would be put on people because now that you can run faster, jump higher, and all this other sort of rubbish that's going to happen, they're going to expect you even more boundaries. Let's just say you work in a warehouse and they give you the task of, you've got to move 200 boxes by the end of the day, right? That's a normal nine to five shift, move 200 boxes from there onto the back of the truck. That's going to be increased to something like, now put 500 on there from nine to five. Oh wait, now you don't have to be so fatigued on your feet. It's now your hours are going to be eight till seven. And we now want you to put a thousand on there. I think people would abuse the system. And back to the original questions, if I could, would I have put one on? Still no. I always just think of the Iron Man scene where you, uh, I think it was the one in Korea where the guy sort of turns too quick and it sort of snaps him in half, obviously inside the suit. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of um, problems plaguing this at first. I think maybe in another, like, when they become more established, definitely. But like right now, I have no real need for one. Well, obviously, the, the big testing ground would be the military. That's where this yes, is going to be yeah. the biggest use. And that's a big rabbit hole to go down yeah, in its, its own really right. What? So we're going to push that to the side. But I just want to give it an honorable mention. Yes. That is where a lot of this we tried and tested. So, you know, generally technologies that 
make it in the military, become to public use eventually. I mean, for instance, completely off topic, but you might not know this, and you can go tell a friend that um, pizzas and fast food items that can um, quickly be reheated in microwaves, stuff like that, came from the military. And that's how we have them used. So popular things we use day to day, something that we accept as being normal, were originally something from science fiction, something you only saw in, in the military. So you said, Martin, that um, that you quote it will be abused. <laughs> I think and it will I one hundred percent to begin with it will until the first person suffers or the first person dies. Then we'll have legislation come in. But I think what Ben's talking about is kind of the ideal world when you know it's not it's not happening when the technology is there. It's not breaking on people, and I don't worry so much about the uh, mental fatigue as I do. I think we can't underestimate the laziness of people. Oh, there will be people that will take this home and live in it and uh, we'll start getting, you know, fatigue and bone frailty, muscle wastage, maybe obesity. I don't know, maybe they'll still need to fit in the exoskeleton. I, I don't know, but do you know what I mean? Like, there, there are going to be medical problems with this that I think will need to be looked at. Um, but if we get that under control and we just use it for, you know, to help disabled people, to help people with very intensive jobs. I think this is a fantastic thing and I can't wait. And you started talking about, Ben, not exoskeletons, but actual mechanical body parts. Yeah, of course, because that's what we have at the moment. That's the biggest comparison that's, we can well, make. Well, that's the future I'm looking forward to. Just get rid of bodies. They're rubbish. Let's just have robot bodies. I thought you all turn into Anakin Skywalker then. You know, at the end of episode three, when he's getting all the yeah. mechanical limbs, it's just going to be like that, are we? Yeah, because why? Why not? One... This, our fleshy bodies aren't great. They're okay. People will be able to do a lot better. We'd be a lot more productive as a society. And you know what? The Olympics will be so much more fun. I suppose, in a sense. It'll be over in a flash, though. As in, like, you could, could you imagine a race? Like, but bang, be, they're there. <laughs> it'd be a race of technology rather than a yeah, race of like skill. F1. But isn't that what the Olympics is all about? It's about human, the human body pushing its limits not with exactly. technology yeah. I mean all oh, right, there is the argument that it's the technology of the clothing they wear or the shoes they wear or you know that kind of yeah, thing that's, that's actually science. a very good point I think that when this does come out there's going to be a huge disparity between the wealthy being given all of this and obviously the poor are not going to get access to this technology for a long time and really it's the poor that have the more intensive jobs yeah it's oh, the it's poor going to be this that divide. have the labour yeah. jobs yeah hospitals uh firefighters and uh, police i think it would, it would make their jobs very much easier and also you did touch upon it my thoughts were maybe obesity as well as like your bones and your muscles sort of uh, almost turn to jelly at times because you're not really going to be using them you know or you might be moving with it but you're going to use very little um energy and i feel like as great as it is i'd like to know more about uh, the health side before i can full uh put full judgment upon this I think it's going to be a learning curve for everyone I mean it's going to be one of the biggest things we'll have to overcome it is I I believe that it is what we're heading towards we can't avoid this this is kind of coming some way the technology is growing quite fast and there are people dedicated to to developing this forward and it is something that there is general use for and benefits for for people so anything that has benefits for people will be misused in other ways and it will just take time for us to learn how to change what we do in order to combat that because I mean you know, across industries, things are going to have to change, you know. Um, you, know you can't go through a metal detector in your plane, you know, if you're wearing that. And, you know, if you've got 
robot bodies and things like that you can't check the security in the same way it's going to be hard tougher it can be a lot you know that, that's just breaking the surface can be a lot of things that need to change and you know when you go to the hospital now these days if some if an accident's happened you were wearing one of these now do you have to involve not only a doctor but someone who's a, an engineer who can understand the, how they work and you're opening a whole can of worms everything's going to have to be rethought you can't look quite everything the same way let's open it well, progress never happens if you keep the can closed. Is that who said that? Alan Taylor, uh, okay. 2018. <laughs> he's saying it now. Oh, hang on, he's taking, he's plagiarizing his people here. <laughs> what would be the the killer for you? What would be the the dream killer? Like my philosophy with technology, especially exciting technology like this, is that if it comes out and it doesn't work, we've not lost anything. It doesn't matter. It would depend. Well, unless it goes drastically wrong drastically wrong would be it being misused yeah. not it not working if if it was used for quote unquote good and it, and it did benefit people i can definitely uh, get on board with like uh, people who have not got limbs or it could help people uh, walk and improve people's quality of life as well as uh, saving lives and i'm all for it. anything to do with any uh, anything that could help uh, people in need or animals in need or even environmentally which is also another thing we haven't really too much touched on like is this good for environment as well i i can definitely get behind this dog exoskeletons no no not dog exoskeletons but generally i feel like i could be a complete hater for, let's just say i i was i'm not saying that i am it wouldn't matter because i feel like this is the way forward as we've already previously mentioned and i feel like by the time it gets down to the people who actually need it i feel like there's going to be something else already there for the upper class already whether you like or not we are likely going down this path so um brace for it what harm can be done overall i may eat those words but what harm can be done overall we'll see and let us know what you think get in touch in the usual ways email twitter facebook you know the ways let us know is this overall going to benefit humanity or possibly plunge us into a darker abyss that we never saw coming so yesterday i went to go see leave no trace uh have either of you seen this i have not no i have not even okay so it's based on a novel uh, my abandonment directed and co-written by deborah granick it's the story of a father will and his 13 year old daughter tom who have been living in this vast urban woodland outside of Portland, Oregon. We learn that their day-to-day life consists of surviving off the forest, foraging, eating wild vegetation, you know, feathering wood to start fires. It's portrayed as very Edenic, free, but they're still living with constant fear of being discovered because they're not actually allowed to be living there. Will drills Tom daily on how to hide. Uh, They camouflage themselves, they move and build camps regularly. To be able to survive, they go into the city to buy essential supplies with money that Will makes by selling his PTSD pills that he gets from a veterans clinic. The opening to this movie really sells the premise. Clearly, a lot of research has been done. Granick has spoken about all the consultants she's had on board, and it really shows. Everything is so believable and actually impressively smart. The way they start fires, the way that they hang a poncho between trees to funnel rain into the hood to collect water, the way that they hide in the ferns, I I feel like this is stuff that you can only really learn from someone who's been through it. So it's very believable. And Granick obviously has a background with this type of character. Her documentary Stray Dog focuses on a marginalized outsider Vietnam vet. 
and her knowledge and empathy is in full effect here. And unfortunately, a random jogger spots Tom, leading to their discovery and the demise of their way of life. Sorry, so the random jogger, what, um, is this when they're out in the wild, they, they notice these two? Or? So it's while Tom is just wandering through the forest and reading, someone spots her. Uh, well, you know, he's jogging through, it's, it's public land, it's, it's an it's a urban park, really. So people are going through, and it's shown earlier that they have to be very careful and hide from the rangers. I mean, it's a massive park, but obviously there's still people that come through, and this guy has spotted them. And they get caught. Stand up. Hands on the back of your head. Still. Don't move. Anything on you that's gonna hurt me? Just the knives. Where were you running? Huh? You alone out here? My daughters are with me. Tom, come out! Stand up. Dad? Cooperate. We haven't done anything wrong. Cooperate. We don't know who you are, what's going on. Let's go. From here we get to the central drive of the narrative. The pair are interrogated by social workers, but are actually found to be content. And Tom is thriving. Uh, she's actually smarter than a lot of kids her age because of Will's teachings. However, they can't live on public land, so they're moved to as isolated a community as they could find. But it, it's still too much. Will feels the claustrophobia of civilization, the oppression. He says that his only freedom now is his thoughts. We're frequently shown images of animals trapped in man-made cages. Uh, a horse behind iron bars in a stable, a rabbit in a hutch, bees in a wooden hive. And interestingly, actually, Tom is often shown opening these cages and interacting with the animals, but Will doesn't feel this freedom. He's desperate, reckless, and he takes Tom back to life on the run. And here a separation of the character's needs comes to the surface, which has been bubbling since the start. If I had to reduce this movie to a classification or a genre, I would say it's a coming-of-age story. The catalyst that starts the movie is Tom's curiosity, and near the opening, when Tom says, I'm growing, Will replies, I know, with fear. And as the movie progresses, it becomes about her learning that she isn't her dad. Uh, she is her own person, and we get this beautiful line, what's wrong with you isn't what's wrong with me. The two central performances are the absolute heart of the movie. The relationship between the father, Ben Foster, and the daughter, Thomson McKenzie, are beautifully played. They're nuanced and they're natural. And importantly, to Granick's credit, it's all in the action. As a movie, it's very stripped bare. Minimal dialogue used functionally. Minimal score, the only real music used is diegetic. No flashy camera work. And as Will says after they've been introduced back into society, we never really needed all of that to communicate. It's all in the quiet, understated interaction. And if you'll allow me to be trite, I think this is very pure cinema. And that's what makes it work. It's so much more powerful because there's nothing more, nothing less than it needs to be. It doesn't give you any answers. And in fact, it barely gives you the questions. And the thing I found extremely well done is the sense of balance between the conflicting ideas. It's more complementary than contrasting, I think. Tonally, it's both melancholic and hopeful. Visually, the 
forests, you know, are green and rich and dense and civilization is bland and dying. Home is not a place, but a feeling. Tom is asked early on about being homeless and she says, I wasn't, I lived in the woods. And, you know, it's, it's shown as this alternative lifestyle, but not the wrong one. And, you know, she describes home as being with her dad. And as well, thematically, you know, it's about moving and staying. It's about freedom and entrapment. And none of which is explicitly said. No one in this movie sums up the themes with a pithy line or hammy exposition. We as an audience are respected enough to find our own meaning here. There is a certain bleakness, but I think ultimately it's very optimistic, actually. Especially in that the people in this movie, everyone is inherently good. All the tragedy and suffering it's no one's fault. And I think it's so important that there are no villains here because it's all about the choices that are made by the characters that impact their own life, specifically Will and the fact that his choices are out of a need and desperation. I will leave it there actually because there is so much to talk about because of its open and bare essential style, but I don't wanna to get too much into it for the people who haven't seen it. I think as you can gather from what I've said, I love this movie. It's visual storytelling done superbly. It's quietly yet powerfully emotional and I implore anyone and everyone to go see it. I mean, there's been quite a few coming-of-age type stories and ones have done quite well. Is this a refreshing look on that or do you think it pulls from those films? You can make the argument that every movie is a coming-of-age story. I suppose. Because it's all about a character growing developing, and developing yeah. and becoming a new person. But... Classically, this is a coming-of-age story, but it, it is very refreshing. And like I say, it's the performances that sell it. And this, this relationship between the father and the daughter just feels so organic and natural and not in the way that Ladybird, it felt real because, you know, the dialogue is stuff you've heard before. These two characters are very quiet. They don't talk to each other with words a lot. Like I say, it's, it's all in the interaction. It's all in the in, in, in the movement and the way they behave towards each other that just makes it feel so powerful. Okay, that's, no, that's very interesting because people are going to make those comparisons, I think, in some way to what they've seen recently. So is it a film for everyone or do you think that it I think has everyone a, should go see this. Okay, everyone can get something out of this. You will get out of it as much as you invest into it. Okay. That's kind of the nature with, you know, bare bones kind of movie sure. is that it's on you to read into it yeah so sorry I, I, you might have said this but I think what I'm trying to wrap my head around here is in the film why do they go off grid what is is it was the intention for her to become well okay so I'm not going to say that because not that it's a spoiler necessarily but it's it gives you so much in the small details like I said nothing is explicitly said you kind of gather the information yourself from watching it. I don't want to sit here and tell okay, you so, the so whole... So it's an active film instead of a passive film then? Absolutely. You, so you need to engage. Okay. And you said there's no uh, full antagonist or for that, you said? No. No. No, everyone in this movie is like a good person. But the conflict is within them then? The conflict comes from two people figuring out that they want different things. He wants to keep running away. He wants to keep moving and, and staying away from civilization. And as she's integrated back into it, she's starting to realize what else is out there. So it's not a conflict of good versus bad. It's a conflict of just different 
wants and needs out of life. Have I sold you on it, Ben? Yeah, I think so. I'm probably not rushing to the cinema to go see it. It's not a summer blockbuster by no, any means shape of, uh, of imagination. So I think in warm weather when you want to be out and things like that, I think it's a good Sunday film to have on um, in, in the house. Sorry, that's not what that is. Yeah. say. No, it's just like, you know, the family. You just sit around with the family and watch something. I don't no, know. I understand. No, I, I, it's not that kind of thing. I don't no, know. Or, or if you, or, yeah, I was going to say, are you not offended by him saying it's a Sunday film? Or are you like, eh. No, I mean, that's. I don't think that's an insult. There are plenty of amazing movies that you can class as a Sunday movie. Usually period dramas. Yeah. That's that type what, of thing. But maybe a bit more to it. isn't that at all. There is, okay. a, there is a darkness to this. Okay. There is, um, like I said, it's ultimately optimistic, but things get severe. There is a pain to this movie. I mean, at the end of the day, it is about a man with suffering from, you know, mental illnesses after being a veteran that's being marginalized by society. The but how does it present the mental illness aspect? Because it's quite a tricky thing to, to get right. Do you think it was told about in the right way? Was it trying to say a message about? So what they did, I, which I liked, I mean, I know that if you've seen You Were Never Really Here, that was very in your face. That was very much from Yakun Phoenix's perspective, right? So you could feel and hear and see what he was going through this you stood outside watching these characters interact with each other you're not there's no pov shots there's no music you know like going mad it's it's shown through their actions and their interactions i, I think i've said that quite a bit sure it doesn't make any judgments it doesn't make any judgments and it's not forced at you it's it's a subtle like he's trying to hide it from his daughter yeah and by in effect he's trying to hide it from us sure uh, obviously, we do see it. He he wakes up from nightmares. And yeah, it presents it to you in a way to make it feel a bit more real, rather than relying on cheap tricks. I wouldn't say cheap tricks. It's it's a different style. I I, I see nothing wrong with putting the camera inside of someone's head. That's just it, it's a completely different style. It's a different technique, and they chose this technique and stuck with it the whole way through. So if you get a chance to go see this. Please do let me know what you think about it. Uh, and let me know what you got out of it. Like, how did this affect you? What did you think the themes and messages were? Email us at... Hello at the3pixels.com Or alternatively, you can tweet us at... 3pixelspod. Or write us a letter. We don't have one of those. Yeah. Or find our Facebook page. Just search the3pixels. Fantastic. Thank you very much, guys. It's all right. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Okay, now it's time for the gaming news. Unfortunately, E3 was about a month ago now and still we're in that sort of down period where not many uh, games are being announced nor is there too much gaming news that hasn't been reported to death. So if you remember the first one or two episodes that I've done, I talked about games that we should all sort of look out for in 2018. Um, I'm going to talk about some of them that I talked about and ones that actually surprised me. Uh, these are either games I've played or read reviews on or seen other people play. So the first game I want to talk about is Mario Tennis Aces. The series debut on the Switch, Aces has added a lot of features on the uh, arcade sports game, making it more interesting and competitive uh, as, and creating a new experience on and offline during the game. It still has its adventure game and you can tell the developers put a lot of care and a lot of time and effort to still bring you this sort of campaign story mode going through it. 
as well as it's added uh, tournament customization to give the multiplayer a, a, a bit of extra spice, shall we say. Mario Tennis is an extremely fun arcade uh, experience, colorful, dazzling, sort of what you're going to commonly come across in a lot of uh, Mario games. And really, it's it's got a real high praises throughout through different reviews that I've, I've looked at. I'm going to give this a quite high review. I'm going to give these a bit of a rating as well. I'm actually going to give this 8 out of 10. So have you either played or heard of this game? Or should we start off with that? Uh, yes, I've heard of it. Yes. But I've not played it. So what's, what is the campaign? See, this is something that's actually not what we'd like to talk about because they more enjoy, like, we had this conversation about people going on multiplayer. But the campaign is sort of like working your way up to become almost like a Pokemon trainer was becoming the best pretty much. So it's, it is arcade style. You keep playing different opponents until yes, you get to till, the top. Yeah. Okay. What does it do new or differently from the previous ones? I think this one added a bit more of depth into it, doing that everything can be different, especially that I think you can create yourself and put you into these uh, situations. Because I think the last game, and I'm probably going to get shot if I'm wrong here, but I don't think you could create yourself and put you in these games. I think you'd have to play like Mario or Luigi or, or one of the the other uh, characters that are predestined. So you could almost create yourself in this universe. And I think it's something you get quite immersed by. They're fun party games. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're great They're social games. games. Yeah. It reminds me of like the, like the me tennis. Sorry, yeah. you know, like when you're playing your me's playing tennis. And I think it's a bit of a callback to that. It is definitely a family-friendly game, especially with the arcade uh, versions, as well as they added new shot types in there, like these, like, uh, uh, almost like these ridiculous over-the-top animations and then blast at your opponent. It's got a bit more skill level in, into it as well. I was reading a, a, a review on IGN and they said, you know, things have to be more timed perfectly than ever before because previous games you could just press, like, spam the block button and sometimes it would block. So it's definitely got a bit more skill, especially... Um, people who have developed with these um, Mario Tennis games beforehand. So I think it's sort of done what sort of Zelda did, The Breath of the Wild, where clearly its audience has um, matured, so so has the game, but still kept that sort of fun, cartoony, um, arcade feel to it. Wonderful. I, I will play it if I get the opportunity. I think many people will experience this game at parties with friends or through other people. Yeah. That, that's kind of generally how it will go about. You'll probably experience it from a friend's version of Switch, and it'll be one of those games like Wii Sports. Yeah, where people go around your house play. I actually remember, uh, talking about Wii Sports very quickly, yeah. until I got onto the next one. I actually remember uh, it was my friend's birthday. I, I can say names on here, can't I? I, I can. mean, it's up to you. Yeah, okay. So I went around my friend Ollie's uh, birthday. I think it was his uh, 14th, 15th, sort of that area. So he still had his Wii at this point. And there was a group of eight of us, and we actually made our own little tournament. Uh, so there was like, you'd have like a knockout round. So the first game was like, I think it was like bowling, and then you go to the next round. I think it was um, tennis, and I think the last game was boxing, like where it was a one on one. And I got knocked out straight away. Like, I was so bad at bowling. Um, yeah. I mean, to be honest, it wasn't very much skill at all. It was, I don't know what was going on. You kind of flicked the remote yeah. in some direction and it seemed to make a different move. Well, at this point, I never actually owned a Wii at this point, so I've played very little of this game. And I was first my friend Tom, I want to say, and he's got a Wii and he played this game to death and he was like getting striked every other shot. I was like, this is fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, outside of the plastic instrument craze, Nintendo really has locked down the party social experience you know, yeah. in their consoles. Definitely. We're now going to talk about Detroit Become Human. 
And I talked about this game beforehand, and I said this was going to probably be game of the year, and it hasn't disappointed me just yet. So, Quantic Dream, they're uh, famous for making Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls, and has continued to evolve its signature genre of cinematic branching adventures. And Detroit is certainly the best so far, in my opinion. Playing as three different Android protagonists, your choices can take the narrative of Androids going, going rogue in different decisions leading on to several varied uh, endings. Even if you lose fights, uh, you don't pick up tasks, or even if you get killed, the story develops and evolves around your choices. And this is something that we haven't really seen from Until Dawn. And in fact, I actually have a quote right here off my cousin. So I quote, the choices really do matter usually in these games. I haven't seen anything like this before. My response was, what about Until Dawn? But this is now the main quote I want to get to. Yeah, but not as much. As Detroit Become Human, in, in my opinion, has more of a story, as well as Until Dawn, is more of how you get to one point to the next point from A and B. There was only like a one or two ways getting there. He felt like uh, Detroit had had more of an option. You can go from one point, it can lead you in a complete curve angle and there's more area to explore instead of going from one point to the next, which I actually agree with. With um, Until Dawn, it was, you got to chase, when you're playing as one of them, you got to chase to get to your girlfriend and as either she's dead or she's not, you know? Or there was a moment where you've got to creep around under the caves, you either die or you don't. With this, it's like you can die here or you can lose a fight back there, but you regain yourself. It's, it's a complete roller coaster. And I feel like it's a different experience every time. It also deals with some heavy themes. Uh, uh, sometimes they're quite blunt at points. And there isn't a lot of, um, however, the, my negative is the gameplay beyond pressing the promoted, uh, prompted buttons. It's sort of beyond that, there's not too much gameplay. But like people do like point and click games. It's um, look at the Telltale series of uh, Batman and The uh, Walking Dead. People like that sort of a quick move around here and there, point and click at times. And people did love that. That, that. that was a massive craze, especially early years. And I feel like they definitely revived or even, dare I say, injected a bit more fluid to it to keep it going for another year or so. The final game that I'm going to do a review on, and then I'm, I'm going to be very sneaky. I'm very sorry, Ben. I'm going to talk about a game that's still coming up. It's very quick, very quick, easy, done. God of War. There's been a lot of changes made to the new God of War when compared to the original games on the PS2 and 3. More inspiration has been taken from the RPG genre with additional with uh, side quests and branching world map, as well as more upgrades for uh, your armor and your weapons, as well as an introduction to a new character in Kratos' son. Uh, and he has his own abilities and the Greek setting has been um, swapped for a, a Chilean Norse one. So definitely a lot of differences in, in style of play. The game mechanically, visually, and narratively has a few flaws that you can nitpick at, but I'm not going to, because fans who've uh, been on board since the original game have been very uh, apprehensive at times when this game was announced. They thought it's not going to be true to the former. However, a lot of the fan base have been very pleased. And even people uh, like myself who didn't really play too much of the first games I was actually enjoyed watching these, uh, this game, seeing the praise it, it thoroughly does to get, that it deserves to have. The development has been in for, was in for five years and it can really see that they really put a lot of heart and soul into this. And I also feel that um, Kratos becomes more 
human with with his son it's that's basically said it felt like you have a more of an understanding more of a grip how i always view kratos was this merciless killer who it doesn't give an an, an f or, or a blind about that however now i feel he's become more compassionate but not weak his strength now is in in um other things around him and i feel like this has been a surprise game for me yeah i mean he's had a very high praise so far it looks very good it's very polished it's Another franchise which will have many people following very intently, a lot of fans, a lot of expectations, but also from the PS4 success generally, it's going to have a lot of people who've never played God of War before, and I'm sure it would be hard to find those people. So, you know, Sony's had to be very careful on the board, and I think they have done it very well with other franchises that they own, that when they brought the next one to the PlayStation 4, almost called it a new console, then it's not a new console, that they also keep it accessible enough for the the new players and i think they've done that quite well and by doing some of the refreshes that allows that new player core to come in because by doing that you kind of have to refresh it for everyone so it kind of brings everyone on the same page so yeah it looks very well done looks very beautiful uh obviously it's by far the prettiest god of war we've had and it looks stunning i'd also say this has definitely been a bit of a massive revival for the god of war rpgs are definitely making a bit of a return Look at Zelda, that game is a full open world where you can just explore, as well as do side quests and the main quest, as well as God of War, and also games like Fallout and uh, the Skyrim sort of series, or the, sorry, the Elder Scrolls series, I should say. It's definitely back on the rise. And I know from previous conversations with you that you were actually quite enthused about this game, you thought it looked quite good, and you were quite excited about it. You do play your fair share of RPG star games, and you do enjoy them. Um, we have a PS4 in the living room, obviously we share a flat, so would you be tempted to get this? Oh, yeah. Every time I walk past it, I'm very tempted to pick it up. Uh, and you so, you're not a big fan of the franchise, so well, as in you I have a little it. interest in playing any of the previous ones. I don't know. I, I don't maybe for the story alone i don't fancy you know a hack and slash button mashy kind of game which is really what it was i mean the story is the only thing that drew me to it before but you know at the end of the day it's just about an angry guy taking revenge they've just added so much depth to the narrative you know it's, it's about something personal you know from what i've heard it's about something personal the gameplay looks fantastic uh you know it's and it is very different gameplay the camera's much closer in it's like you said it's an rpg and Stunning! I, I feel like they've stolen Naughty Dog's secret sauce and figuring out how to make this look so good. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's so, a bit of a game to who can make the prettiest games the PS4 now. It's become a challenge in itself. Yeah, so yes, I absolutely am looking forward to If you were looking for an excuse to get into God of War, if you've been watching over the years and no friends have played it and raved about it and gone, I wish I could play this, or you never own a PS3, now you're in a PS4, waiting for the excuse i think this is the excuse to get into it now as they're changing things as they've pushed things forward and altered the gameplay and giving it a fresh start this is the entry point this is the excuse you've been waiting for so if you've been waiting all this time just enter here and go forward and if you have the time or the will at some point to go back go back but this is a fresh game in its own right and you should treat it as one it is a masterpiece i like i said i can't really fault it too much really well received by its fan base and also got people on board with uh, the god of war i'm gonna have to give this a nine out of ten i've got to give it a high mark i can never give a 10 out of 10 or anything but i think a nine is a solid statement and 
I've got to remember to do this now afterwards. By the end of the year, I will make probably, and that'll definitely be somewhere in the top five by the end of the year. Still to want to watch out for is still Red Dead Redemption 2. I cannot wait for this game to come out. And that's in October. I know it's a while, but it'll be soon upon us. So that's the next game I'd say you guys have got to watch out for at the end of this year. There's other games I know, but that's the one that I really want to make a full episode on when it does get released. So if you're looking for a family game, you go and get Mario Tennis. If you're looking for a game that is going to have a little bit more thought and maybe you want to dive in deep and, and, and really think about something, go to Detroit. If you want a game that is in a series that you've wanted to dive into but haven't ever before, go and play God of War. And if you're just the person that likes to look to the future, then you've got Red Dead Redemption. Mm. There you go. If you do like the idea of me talking about where I feel like the game industry is going, as I previously mentioned, you can always get in contact with us at hello at thefreepixels.com or our Twitter at freepixelspod. You can also Facebook us with the Free Pixels. And that's all we have time for on this episode of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you have enjoyed it just as much as we've enjoyed putting the content together for you. It's been another fantastic episode, episode number 12. And it couldn't have been possible without my two wonderful co-hosts both staring at me as I talk right now. I started with Alan the first time, so let's start with Martin. Hello, Martin. Hello. Goodbye. goodbye you mean, I believe oh, hello, goodbye. Hello, was, goodbye. But uh, no, thank you very much again for having me. It's been wonderful. It has been as always. A little um, bit cooler, a little bit more pleasant. Oh, tell me about it. So yeah, it's a bit cooler than the pod was last time, Martin. Hopefully, you've not sweated as much. No, um, I actually enjoyed it because uh, I lost a few dress sizes. So oh, hopefully, go. we could go it's back to a the benefit, pod after this. It? But um, like I said, it's, it is nice to come back to your roots now and then and uh, shake things up. Back to the roots. Back, back to, to roots. your roots. Yeah. So, Alan. Yes. Been great. Thank you for watching Movie Review. Thank you so much for listening to it. Yeah, thank you very much for your movie review. It was fantastic hearing about that. Uh, definitely made me want to go and check it out. So I will 100% do so. And everyone else listening should do oh, really? so. Really? Well. I'll, I'll ask you about it next week. Yeah, you should ask me about it next week. On the podcast. Maybe. Don't hold me to that. <laughs> anyway, that's all we have time for. Thank you for listening. We'll see you guys on the next one. As always, adios. See you later. Bye. You've been listening to the Three Pixels Podcast, a production by Alan Taylor, music provided by Epidemic Sound, and exec produced by Abrupt Audio. With that, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Good night. I'm just saying, every film is now a superhero movie, it feels like. Like what? Oh. Like what? <laughs> like what? Oh, um, I don't know. Uh, let me think. I think Black Panther came out this year, as well as yep. the... Infin- I was going to say, if Infinity War then, if Infinity uh-huh. War. Um, it's probably going to be like Spider-Man 10 coming out soon, you know. Iron uh, Man Ant-Man. 62. It's just come out. Huh? And, oh, Ant-Man and Wasp, whatever It's it not is. out yet. Yeah, it is. If you're in, in the United States of yeah, America. Yeah, because good old US, so. in the United States of put the middle finger up because you can't see it elsewhere. So yeah, like they're everywhere. They are everywhere. Yeah. What wasps? Yeah, so the why don't you want to see something original <laughs> and new? Huh? Why don't you want to see something original and new? Uh, it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> I find it's lack of football managing disturbing. That's what it is. Yeah. To be fair, there is a lot of football manager in Marvel movies. Mm. Is there actually? Yeah, there yeah. is. Yeah. Iron Man plays it. They're always playing it. That's what's always on the screen. They're always playing this football manager. Yeah. Really? It looks like Never crazy tech stuff to you and me, Ben. But Martin can see what it is. Yeah, it's like, oh, I wouldn't put that formation out, mate. <laughs> Always had a few missed games this time. Oh, I won't put him. I think that's enough football <laughs> that's for now. Jeez. It's coming home, did you hear? No, I didn't.